born into the world, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then we get into uh, verses 8 down through 20. Uh, the angels show up and proclaim uh, to the shepherds of all people that the Messiah is born. Uh, these shepherds, these lowly shepherds, then go on and they go to Bethlehem to see uh, this thing that has come to pass. They go to see the, the birth of their Savior who had been foretold by the prophets. And they get to witness this. And, and what a wonderful thing that God brings the good news of the gospel first, not to the mighty, uh, but to the meek, not to uh, the wealthy, but to the poor. He brings it to those who are in need. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, as we come into this, now we're going to look at verse 21 down through 40 today, and we're going to see the days after Christmas. There's going to be several things that are taking place. Now, when we look about the Christmas account and we see the early life of Jesus, there's two accounts uh, that we have to look at. That's Matthew and Luke. Now, if we understand chronologically the, the unfolding of the Christmas story is this, that Matthew and Luke are sort of tag-teaming in some ways where one leaves off, the other one picks right up. Uh, and so what we're going to see here is some more detail that Luke includes, and it's going to pick up here in verse 21 down through 24. It says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, that's Jesus, his name was called Jesus, <clears throat> which was so named the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written uh, in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And it says, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, as we look here, Joseph and Mary are clearly obedient to the law. They are clearly obedient to the angel's uh, pronunciation that this child must be and will be called Jesus. That very name Jesus is something that we've heard of a million times because we, we uh, trust in Christ, we trust in Jesus, we, we know the name of Jesus. But the very name itself in the Hebrew would go back to what Joshua would. It means that of, of Savior or one who saves or even salvation. Uh, even in its name, it has a very rudimentary form of uh, Yah, meaning uh, the Lord or Jehovah. And so what we find is that this is a significant name. Jesus would not have been the only person named Jesus in Israel at this time. Uh, this would have been something that others would have, have looked at naming their children, right? In the same way that we look, and uh, I've discovered this, I'm not the only Joe Bryant. My mom told me I was one in a million, one of a kind. I wasn't. <laughs> there's another Joe Bryant. There's a lot of Joe Bryants out there, but, but only one me, I guess. But what we think about is this. There was only one Jesus, the Christ. Uh, Christ is not his last name. That wasn't Mary and Joseph's last name. This is rather his title. This is who he is. But the name of Jesus is significant. And what is significant that we find here in these verses is that they are seeking, Joseph and Mary, to be obedient to what God has written in his word according to the law of Moses and the angel's pronouncement about the Messiah that they would raise. Now, following the days... Uh, given in the, the law of Jesus, right, the, the law for Jesus' circumcision and for Mary's purification from childbirth, they, they follow what God has spoken. Now, hold your place here and turn with me to Leviticus uh, chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12. Now, first of all, I want to say, praise the Lord that we are not under the law and that we are under grace. The things that these folks had to do because they were bound, now, the law was given for them to teach them Christ, it was a schoolmaster is what Paul calls it. It was to show them that while they can't live up to it, there would be one who would come who would live up to it. Jesus, this same Jesus that Luke speaks of, would live a perfect and sinless life because he is the perfect 
and sinless God-man. Though he would be tempted in like manner as you and I were, yet he would be without sin. And so, as we come here, we want to look at Leviticus 12 because this gives us exactly what Mary and Joseph are heeding to. Now, in Leviticus chapter 12, the law is being given specifically to these Jewish people that are under the law, bound by the law, and what they are being told is uh, a certain way of purificational uh, days that they must hold to if a child is born. We're even going to get into um, if it's a boy or a girl and all these different things and, and how these things are to come to play. Everything was about being clean or unclean, right? When, uh, when Lucy and the other seniors were at the ark, I'm sure that they saw things talking about the clean animals and the unclean animals that were on the ark. Now, why is that important? What, we're get, what we see is that for the Lord in the law, what he had given is that there were things that were considered to be clean and those that were unclean. The things that were unclean caused defilement, meaning that you were not in right relationship with the Lord. You could not approach the tabernacle or the temple later on down the line that you had to offer sacrifice for a purification. Now, during this Old Testament period, during the Old Covenant, they were continuously sacrificing. As a matter of fact, what is even alluded to in Luke chapter 2 with the shepherds is where they were in the time of year that it was, that more than likely they are keeping watch over temple sacri- uh, uh, over the sheep that are for temple sacrifice. Now, that's a wonderful thought to think that the angels would come to those who are keeping guard over the very lambs who are going to be killed and sacrificed and for worship. But all around them, what is being pronounced to them is that the true lamb has come. Now, that's the wonderful details that we see in Luke's account. But as we come to Leviticus, we find that they are having to make sacrifice for this purification. It says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. Right? That's a week. Seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. In the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. As we've talked about and as we know in the Old Testament, their outward sign of the covenant agreement with God that they were obeying the Lord and His law is that on the eighth day, all male children would be circumcised. Circumcision was the outward sign of the inward trust in the covenant of which God had made with Abraham, following down to Isaac and Jacob, and to the nation of Israel and to the, the very people of faith who had trusted the Lord. Now it says, And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. Right? It's thirty-three days. So 33 plus 7, how long is that? 40. So 40 days of this purification process. As we also know, 40 is the number that we see throughout the Bible that is that of a, of a judgment time. And so this is a time of purifying, a purification uh, for her. And, and uh, it says that she shall touch no hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, right, that's a young little girl, then she shall be unclean two weeks. As in her separation, she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her. And she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. Notice they have to make sacrifice. They have to have a mediator who's the priest. But that priest is nothing like Jesus Christ, the great high priest, who is a better mediator and the true mediator between God and man. Now, it says, This is the law for her that hath born a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, 
Why would she be able to bring a lamb? She can't afford it. It says this. Then she shall bring two uh, turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So by looking at Leviticus 12, what can we tell about Mary and Joseph here? Are they wealthy or not wealthy? Not wealthy. Jesus is born to the lowly. He would go on to say that he is meek and lowly at heart. He came unto his own. Now think about this. This is Jesus Christ, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, right? The, the mighty God. All of these things that we see in Isaiah's prophecy and Scripture. And yet he comes to the low and the lame. He comes to those who many considered unclean or unworthy of anything. And so as we look at these days after Christmas, we find this. At the, as Guzik writes, the circumcision and purification ceremonies were necessary as a reminder that, uh, that we are all born in sin. Psalm 51.5, Jesus could have been excused because he was not born in sin. Why? Was Jesus born to an earthly mother and father? He had an earthly mother, but she was a virgin. Jesus is the God-man. Though He is God and man, He does not have the sinful nature of man. Though He puts on literal flesh, He does not put on sin. Now, sin would be laid upon Him. That would be at the cross. But when we come to this spot, look at this. He, Guzik goes on to write, he says, Yet we see Him even as a baby identifying with sinners, as He also later did at His baptism and on the cross. To think that the Holy One of God would identify with sinners, right? The sinless one identifies with them. That is the, the, the wonder uh, of Christmas. That is the wonder of the days after Christmas. Even from you know, eight days after his birth, the, the day of the circumcision, that he's identifying with sinners all around him. Jesus' name is then pronounced once more in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, that they named him Jesus because the angel had said, you're going to name him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. It is pronounced once more, further showing as well their belief and obedience, not just to the angel, but to what God had said. They took it as what we had talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul tells them uh, that you guys had received the word as the, not just the word of man, but the word of God. And so they had received what the angel had spoken about their, uh, their child, that it would uh, that his name must be called Jesus, and they took it as this is what God has called for us to do. Now, this would not be Joseph's child, but yet Joseph would be the one called to earthly uh, raise him as a carpenter and to go through this life to support Mary and, and the whole thing. But ultimately, this child is being born to identify with sinners to then one day not just live that sinless life, but then to have sin itself laid upon him. Now, we find as well that Jesus is born to sinners born to people who are poor of the earth. They followed Leviticus 12. In doing so, following Leviticus 12, the way in which they did so in Luke chapter 2, verse 21 to 24, we find that what they brought as an offering clearly shows that they were not a part of the wealthy class of people. Jesus was not born to kings and princes, but rather He was born to these lowly folks. Now in this, what we find is that Barclay writes the offering of the two pigeons instead of the lamb, and the pigeon was technically called the offering of the poor. We see that it was into an ordinary home that Jesus was born. Another author writes, this suggests that all this happened before the wise men came from the east. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Why? And this is important. She has to go through days of purification. 40 days. 
So this means that what we often see here, and hate to burst your nativity bubble, <laughs> right? But more than likely, what's happening is strangers aren't coming in to touch or to be around her because she's considered unclean, especially those who are Jewish. They're not going to come and be un- un- around her and to become unclean. And so she's got to go through 40 days of purification. So more than likely, what you've got is this. Wise men are showing up either on day 41 or up to about two years old because two years and younger is what uh, the the government would say that's what we're going to kill because we want to make sure that we can snuff out this this alleged king. And so we see that there's this sort of time period uh, of of waiting and seeing what, what, what will take place. But nevertheless, the Lord provides for them. The Lord takes care of them and says Mary and Joseph would not have returned to Jerusalem after being warned by the angel, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, and they would not have offered only two birds after receiving the rich gifts from the wise men, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Those aren't cheap things. Gold is not cheap. That's a, that's a, a costly gift and given to lowly folks. Why would they be given such? Well, each one would represent certain things about Christ our Lord. We thank the Lord for that and for those truths and those lessons, but as well as physically, those gifts would be used to take care of them in their flight to Egypt before they would return back to, to Nazareth. Now, as we move forward in this, we see obedience, we see Jesus' identification with sinners, and now, verses 25 down through 35, we're going to see that Simeon uh, sees the Savior that he had been waiting for. Verse 25 tells us, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. You say, but the Holy Ghost hasn't come. Well, look at this. In the Old Testament, what we find is that there are folks who the Holy Spirit comes upon them at times to give strength, to give enlightenment, to give uh, encouragement, to give power, to give uh, many things. But in this, what we're going to see is that it's going to be the Holy Spirit that leads this man to go find the Christ child in the temple. Uh, There he is, right? Jesus is, at this point, 40 days old at most. Right? You know, probably at least 40 days old, somewhere a few months. He's, he's an infant being held by his mother. And here, his, his mother and, and Joseph are going to be offering this sacrifice of which they can afford, which is only uh, the, the, poor, uh, the poor man's offering, if you will. And Simeon was led by the Spirit of God in order to wait by faith for the coming Messiah and to be led to see the one he had waited for as the babe, Mary, and Joseph are in the temple. Look at this. It says in verse 26, it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise that is. Now, you want to talk about a sweet and comforting promise. He is told by the Spirit of God, you will not see death until the Savior is born and you lay eyes on him. You're going to see the consolation, if you will. He says in verse 27, and he came by the Spirit. Notice that. We've got three straight verses of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit that is leading a man who is waiting by faith for the Lord's coming. It says, into the temple, right? He's led by the Spirit into the temple. Why would he go there? Because the Spirit leads him there. It says, and when, uh, excuse me, let me go back up verse 27. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, that's verses 21 to 24, right? Uh, it says, then he took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now Simeon, imagine this scene, right? We're ha- say we're having a baby dedication, right? We got somebody who, who had a baby, they're a few months old now, they want to dedicate before the church, and 
this, this child's going to be the Savior. Well, that sounds crazy. And, and, and this guy walks in the side because he says the Spirit let him here and he takes up the child in his arms and he gives this prophecy. Uh, you and I, we can't fathom that. But this is what's taking place in the temple. They're in the process of giving these offerings. They're in the process of obeying the, the, the law of the Lord. And in comes Simeon, led by the Spirit of God Himself. And he takes up the babe. He gets to hold his Savior. Think about that. He gets to hold physically the Savior that he has waited for. That, that's mind-boggling to think about. That, that Jesus, even the one who held the worlds, is now being held by one he created, by one that waited for him. And he says this prophecy, this, this sort of uh, uh, spirit-filled statement. He says, in verse 29, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He's ready to die now. That's peace. That's a dying peace. That's a dying grace that the Lord gives to his saints, to those who are waiting for his promise, to those who are trusting in him by faith. That he goes, Lord, you've said this. I've gotten to see it. Thank you. Now let me go. Right? This is enough. God has fulfilled his word. He says, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. What a statement that is. Jesus is not just the Savior, but He is salvation itself. He says, Which thou hast prepared before the faces of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now this is important here. When He came, He came preaching and went to the Jews first. And the Gospel, according to Paul, said it was to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Because what we find here is that Jesus did not just come to die and to save the Jews. But He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and the whole world was lost. Now He came to His own, but His own received Him not. The kingdom, I believe, firmly was offered to the people, but they had rejected their king. As a matter of fact, they would crucify Him and be disgusted that they would write King of the Jews as His accusation above His cross. That the Jewish people were revolted at the thought that Jesus would be their king. One day He's coming again. And he will be king, right? And he is king, even now, ruling and reigning. But notice this. Here, it says, uh, we, as we look here at this, uh, a light to lighten the Gentiles and, and the glory of thy people Israel, we see this, that, that he has come to not just save those Jews, but he is a light to those who are in absolute darkness. He is the very light of the world. And we find that, here now, the Gentiles are included in uh, to this idea that the, the light is being given to them. He will be a light to them as a fulfillment of the prophecy uh, in Isaiah. But then as well, that Israel, one day he will be the very glory of Israel. They will see their Savior once more. When he returns, they will turn to him. And he will get to rule and reign in a peaceful kingdom for a thousand years. And his people will get to know him once more. But one thing that I love about this idea of Simeon and the way in which he is led is that we find that this is a man who is led of the Spirit, in tune with the Spirit. This is what the Christian life should look like. MacDonald writes, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear. And that's what Psalm 25, 14 says. There is a mysterious communication of divine knowledge to those who walk in quiet, contemplative fellowship with God. Simeon here is a picture of what you and I should look like. People who quietly, humbly follow the Lord, obey and trust His promises and His commands, and are filled and led by the Spirit of God. 
Now in Simeon's song here, this is a wonderful thing that is given. As he preaches essentially what the Lord is going to do. And he goes on then further. It says in verse 33 though that Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. I mean, this is certainly a marvelous thought of what Simeon has just said. Joseph is going, well, I know he's not my child. This is of the Lord. And Mary's going, he's my child, but yet we're a virgin. I'm a virgin and this, we haven't had relations yet. And, and, and now I'm being told by this guy as we're trying to uh, you know, give this offering unto the Lord that this is what Jesus, the little boy that I'm holding, or now that Simeon is holding, is going to do. I mean, it's a marvelous thought. They, they marvel at this in, in absolute sheer amazement. They are astonished, yet believing. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, he speaks now directly to her, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Sorensen puts it rightly. He says, Though he was the Messiah, the path God had planned would not be easy. Many would turn against him and fall upon him as if he were a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. Yet many others would rise again, perhaps hinting there at the resurrection of believers. More likely is a rising up spiritually as many turn to him. He indeed would be a sign to the nation of Israel, though many would speak against him. Furthermore, Simeon prophesied, no doubt specifically to Mary, that a sword, figuratively, would pierce through her own soul. Without a question, that happened as she saw her firstborn son rejected and crucified before her eyes. In so doing, the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed, both for better and for worse. What a difficult prophecy this is. A marvelous one, an amazing one, yet one that will lead to a broken-hearted Mary. But praise the Lord that Jesus would not stay dead as we know. He would resurrect and He is coming again. That is the great truth of the Gospel. That's what makes the Gospel the Gospel. Now verse 36 down to 38, we find then Anna the prophetess. Now what I believe here is that this is a woman who has served the Lord. And as we see here, verse 36 tells us, And there was Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher, she was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. This is a dedicated woman to the work of God, to the will of God, to the word of God. This is someone who is uh, dedicated to, to serving the Lord with her life, even though she is now widowed and all of these things. And the Lord is going to use her as a prophetess to make a prophecy here about the Christ child and what is going to take place here. It says in verse 38, And she coming in that instant. Now that's interesting, right? Literally the, the same instant as the idea of that as all this is taking place, imagine this, right? You've got Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus. There's the priest. They're, they're doing this whole temple service uh, for, the follow, for following up Leviticus 12 in, in, in obedience. In comes Simeon, led by the Holy Ghost. He comes, he holds his Savior in his hands. He prophesies about who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. He then looks to Mary and prophesies about uh, who Jesus is, what Jesus will do, and how this will affect her own heart, the, the, the broken hardness of which she'll face, that, the piercing of her own heart. And as this is happening, in the same instant is the idea that as this is taking place, right away, 
Then in comes Anna, the prophetess. And here's what she says. It says, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So here she acts as a mouthpiece, letting folks know there at the very place where Jesus would one day be crucified and risen, that the Lord has come. The Savior is born. The prophets that prophesied have now seen this is fulfilled today. Sorensen writes about this little occasion. He says, At the same time Simeon had prophesied concerning baby Jesus, God sent another godly saint to further glorify his son. Little is known of her except uh, this, that Anna was a prophetess of the tribe of Asher. She was an elderly woman. Some have taken the position that she had been widowed 84 years after having been married for seven years. However, that would have made her about 110 year, years old or thereabout. More likely, she's 84 years old. Nevertheless, she's old. Right? What is significant was the godly dedication of this dear woman. It is noted that she departed not from the temple. That may imply she had been provided an apartment there or she rather may have spent the majority of her time there in serving God with fastings and prayers night and day. Here was a woman whose entire life was focused in serving the Lord. God providentially brought her into the area of the temple where Joseph, Mary, and the infant Jesus were. The word transited as instant or aura has the same sense of at that time. Uh, as was the case with Simeon. She also, evidently through the Holy Spirit, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. What is implied is that she spoke of Him as the Messiah. Those looking for redemption in Jerusalem were those yearning for God's deliverance in the Messiah. Remember this, from the very beginning of time after the fall, God had promised a Savior. So this was not just some random time that they go, you know, we sure need a Savior. They've been looking and looking and looking for a Savior for centuries. And now He's there. Now He is pronounced by lowly Simeon and lowly Anna, who no one knows, no one cares about, a random man who's led of the Spirit and a widow woman. He is pronounced and His birth is pronounced by shepherds that are considered to be untrustworthy unworthy of news like that. His birth is pronounced by those who we wouldn't consider to be the greatest orders or the ones who the the news should be given to. This just shows us what the Lord has done to come to us to make a way for those who are in desperate need of salvation. And there is no denying here the pronouncements of Jesus the babe being the Messiah from God. He did not become the Messiah. He was born the Messiah. He did not become God. He was God. And this was clearly seen by believing the Scriptures of old. Now, verse 39 and 40, here's what we see. And when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So after all this has taken place, right? they go back to Nazareth. It says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Here we find that Jesus is growing physically, mentally, spiritually. He is growing not at necessarily a faster rate as everyone else, but he's growing in obedience. He's never disobeyed God. He's never disobeyed his parents. He is the perfect child without sin, never once sinned, never even thought to sin. 
And what we see is that in this, that he grows. He waxed strong in spirit. This idea that he's filled with wisdom. Because the very next account in Luke is that he's going to be in the temple at 12 years old and he's going to be astounding the prophets and the priests around him. The reason is we find that the grace of God was upon him. God was slowly but surely revealing himself through his son who would then die for us. This shows his great humility to come as a child and to submit to the will of the Father who sent him. What a thought it is to think One, that any of us could be saved, but then the fact of how we have been saved. That God orchestrated this by His providential, gracious, merciful hand and used the unlikely and the unworthy to pronounce the birth of His Son. And today, I would encourage you with this, that God still uses the unworthy and the unlikely to do His will and to make a difference in this world. All we must do is trust the Lord, preach the Gospel, and be filled and led of the Spirit of God, and let Him do what He will do in our life, through our life, and for His glory. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We're grateful for Your faithfulness, grateful for uh, these things that we could look at and to to look at some of those days after Christmas and what that might have looked like and and to see how You came uh, to to die for us, to offer us of life and forgiveness. We pray that, Lord, that You would help us uh, to have our hearts now turned to You Uh, to come humbly as we come to worship you, to praise you, to adore you, and Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in all things. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all.